Welcome once again to another episode of Mike, Mike, and Oscar. I am your co-host, Mike One, co-host, gambling extraordinaire, lines maker, taste maker, also Mike, in a moment. And that's <laughs> the tenor we're starting with, with this Oscar race checkpoint, as we figure we are on the precipice, we're at the starting line, we're on the verge of this crazy stretch here, going into this Oscars sprint, as we've called it in the past, where we're going to get movie after movie after movie, so we figured we'd take an inhale at the start of this thing, and start this Oscar race checkpoint by surveying the gambling landscape and talking you through the odds of the biggest categories for Academy Sunday, Michael. Yeah, we're literally doing an Oscar race checkpoint on the show that is called Oscar race checkpoint. <laughs> we're finally doing that. Uh, no, we, we usually cover everything and, and everywhere and all the news. We're pretty good with that. But I think I think this is the time for a swath. Like we're coming off of the Halloween movie watching season. We had mm-hmm. some really fun episodes. My God, did I have fun with the scaries. And my God, <laughs> did Swell have fun with us in Antler's Lamb double feature there. <laughs> dunking yes. on me, especially again. Uh I watched Hellraiser, which basically yeah. turned me off of all horror movies forevermore because that was <laughs> disgusting. Did you at least see the similarities that I was talking about in the one scene from that episode? <laughs> I'm, I'm going to take that as a yes. <laughs> oh, that movie grossed me. I was literally afraid that entire film because it starts off with just exactly what I don't want to see in any movie. Yep. And then it's good. It's well made. If we, you know, you, you said as much. We knew as much. Mm-hmm. It was just yucky, yucky from start to finish, <laughs> and you did that to me. You forced me to do that because you like called me out. Yeah, yeah. I so, watched Prince of Darkness while you were well, watching Hellraiser. Is my yeah. Halloween so you trip. got to watch a fun movie, but what? So what else did you watch like Halloween weekend? I know you do that a lot. I just, oh I just was God. curious. Yeah, I was. I watched uh, Halloween four, five. Then I went back to seventy eight and watched that. I watched Paranormal Activity three and four. I watched the new Paranormal Activity that came out on Paramount Plus. Uh huh. There's a new paranormal activity on <laughs> Paramount Plus. Yeah, it's gotten like no marketing for good reasoning. Um, <laughs> it's not great. I, I think I gave it like a C minus D plus range. Okay. Um, but I watched uh, a butcher baker. What, what's it called? Hang on, let me give me a second. Is this here. on Paramount Plus as well? No, this was an old movie on Shutter. Butcher Baker Nightmare Maker. It was. So bad. Because of that title you watched. (laughs) Of course. It's like an 80s horror movie, which I love. I love the 80s horror movies that get no recognition. And that one deserved no recognition. It was beautiful. (laughs) So, yes, we had our Halloween movie watching phase, which we do every October Mm -hmm. (laughs) for a good two Mm -hmm. weeks. (laughs) And now it's time to get back to business and and get after the Oscars. I I think it's important that we do this. So, yes, this is an Oscars betting update. Yes, this is gonna be a punditry survey and i had fun plugging back into our friends at awards watch awards circuit next best picture gold derby and and of course the feinberg forecast so you'll get all of those pundits and where they stand on everything so let's start with the big four categories mike and let's start with the front runners. That's how I'm going to start with each one of these. Right. I want to I want to isolate on the front runners and I do think we have a best picture front runner right now and it's Belfast coming out the 10th of November. 
It won, most recently, taking the big awards at Toronto, Heartland, Mill Valley, and the San Diego Film Festivals. It has the shortest betting odds, Belfast, at 5-2, to two, all the way out to its longest number at 4-1. to one. So those are the best odds right now uh, in, in Vegas. 10 out of 21 Gold Derby experts currently have Belfast as their number one for be- best picture, including Clayton Davis, including... Uh, Eric Anderson at Awards Watch, Matt Negley at Nesbeck's Picture. They also have Belfast at number one on their list. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think that's you're fair in calling that the uh, the front runner right now, and not as prevalent on tops of that many lists as number one. But there is definitely at least a number two, I would say, right? Right. I think the clear number two is the power of the dog. Odds Odd Checker has the power of the dog at number two, with odds going from nine to two as far out as thirty-two to five, essentially somewhere between four and a half to one to six and a third to one, right? Yeah, something like that. Six out of 21 experts on Gold Derby have it as their number one, including IndieWire's Ann Thompson, friend of the show. So Mm -hmm. again, some big names are behind the power of the dog. It has an early resume. It has best film at San Sebastian, best director for Jane Campion at Venice, and best cinematography at TIFF with Jane Campion also getting a Gotham best director tribute. Yeah, so Power of the Dog and Belfast are the two movies. They account for more than 75% of the Gold Derby number one slots right now for Best Picture at this early point in November. I don't know that I'm necessarily surprised by either uh, right now. Both have been well-received. You've mentioned they've already started checking in with some major awards and some major festival wins. But what's third, at least according to Odds Checker at this point, uh, may be something I would classify as a shock. So the thing about third and, and second is that these films, they aren't your typical best picture best pictures. Again, I only know this because I, I read the book and I saw Power of the Dog and I talked about it with Andrew. It doesn't feel like a best picture to me. And maybe that's just recent memory being, you know, the best pictures have, have just, uh, we know it when we see it. They felt very King speechy with Green Book. They felt, you know, very innovative. And and once in a while, you get The Last Emperor. You get a parasite, right? You get those art films that overcome. But these two, Nightmare Alley and Power of the Dog, I don't know. To me, they feel like a nomination, not a winner. But Nightmare Alley is third with odds as short as 6-1 to from Guillermo del Toro there coming out in uh, December. Feel like I said that all last year about Nomadland too, when it was the wire to wire front runner, it just didn't feel like a yeah. typical best picture winner. But so Nightmare Alley being third does surprise me, having the third best odds because that movie has routinely been placed around sixth or seventh on most experts' lists. I mean, Matt Neglia of NBP has it eighth on his list. Clayton Davis has it fifth on his list. There's nearly as many Gold Derby experts who have Nightmare Alley in their top three as there are Gold Derby experts who don't have Nightmare Alley in their top ten at all. Seven mm-hmm. experts have it in their top three. Six uh, experts out of the 24, I think, listed uh, don't have it in their top ten. So I'm surprised to see Vegas this high on it I'm assuming it's a matter of Vegas right now kind of surveying the field and placing odds in terms of which movies they think are at least most likely to make the Oscars nominating field and Mm. if that's the case I think it makes a little more sense because I could see Nightmare Alley like you said I don't know that I necessarily see it being a front runner but I could see it at least being a, a lower on the nomination list of 10 best pictures to be there on Oscar Sunday. Right. I could totally get on board with what you're saying there because they're they're trying to, you know, 
jack up the uh, or, or jack down. Again, I always get caught with the numbers on this. But they're trying <laughs> as to long put as somebody's odds. jacking something is what's important. Yeah. <laughs> they're trying to put odds to cover their own ass on probable nominations. Right, and if they're alive, they may get picked. Yeah, you know, I mean, look at the the melancholic art film from Moonlight to The Last Emperor to last year's Nomadland has won some, themselves some best pictures. So The Power of the Dog could be there. The Nightmare Alley could be there. The Tragedy of Macbeth, we know, is a tragedy. Uh, somehow we know this. And <laughs> it could be there. So maybe the feel-good, best picture best picture is not what's going to happen while we're still dealing with a pandemic. So yeah, The Tragedy of Macbeth coming in here at in fourth place, essentially, uh, and licorice pizza. I have no idea what that's going to be from PTA. Right. Will that be bittersweet? But they have lines as uh, as short as nine to one. Coda feels more like a typical best picturey, best picture kind of film. The feel good movie. It's sixth with a line of ten to one. Blue Bayou. I don't know why it's still there. They have an abundance of short lines available from seven to one to fourteen to one. That's a puzzler. That nah. makes no sense. Somebody's getting paid off. Somebody's doing something. They just <laughs> left it there. They're too lazy to get rid of it. But here's where conversation strikes up again between you and I. It's Dune in the eighth spot. I'd be curious. I haven't been following these lines close enough, but I'm guessing Dune's lines have shortened. I mean, we see that from the disparity here. Some books have it at eight to one. Other books have it as far out as twenty to one. We have major pundits from Variety, Ke- uh, Tim Gray there, Kevin Palawi from Yahoo. They are pushing Dune as their early winner, their early front runner. Mike, yeah, good, good for them. <laughs> <laughs> Dune's not winning Best Picture, uh, and if it does, I you you can hold that clip against me forever. That's fine. I'll live with it. But I don't think Dune's winning Best Picture. I'm more fascinated by the difference i guess in the placement between dune and something like nightmare alley i mean nightmare alley look if something if so-and-so or leo or whoever just won an oscar and can't be winning an oscar now because it just won something that would have to be doubly true for the night for the monster banging movie from del toro it's wouldn't not it a monster banging movie he, he, bradley cooper's having sex with that thing you are biased <laughs> Based on but, recent history. But I'm surprised that a movie that nobody knows anything about, really, other than Del Toro's attached and Bradley Cooper's going to definitely have sex with something monstrous. <laughs> I'm surprised that movie is being treated better, not only in this category, but others we'll talk about, than Dune, which is something tangible and something that we've seen and people have like praised for its visuals and all that. I think Dune being this low on the card is, after already being out, like usually when things debut, they get all the momentum in the world from Vegas. I think this would be concerning for Dune that it's this low. I don't know. If I had to put some money on either or, I put money on Dune. I think the uh but then I again, I, would too. I, I, I am more two. affected by the film Twitter buzz. I I was last year. I, I still thought Promising Young Woman had a shot, had that dark horse shot at the end. And I I mean nobody thought it had a shot at the end against Nomadland in all seriousness, but mm-hmm. even, you know, as the season kind of picked picked up into you know, the precursors, I was still thinking Promising Young Woman had a shot is what I'm saying. Here, if there's a runaway, then I feel like a lot of these other contenders could fall away. And we have wild cards like a Dune. We have the melancholic art films in here. And then we have just movies nobody's seen yet, like A Nightmare Alley or House of Gucci uh, right here at the ninth spot. Odds 8-1 to one all the way out through 16-1. to one. Don't look up. It's going to be a satire about the world 
ending and everybody being an asshole <laughs> who's a big star about the world you know the world's ending nobody wants to fix it don't look up adam mckay is not going to pull any punches there we don't think odds 10 to 1 to 20 to 1 these type of you know biting satires yeah they'll win best screenplay do they necessarily win best picture mike i don't know yeah i don't know either i don't know that they are, are necessarily going to be contenders at the end of the day they might be i mean we know mckay is treated well we know there's a ton of uh, momentum and anticipation for the ridley scott house of gucci movie look we do the uh the vegas lines for for two reasons mm-hmm. one is is to just kind of take the temperature of where the experts in in vegas see these things and where they think this is going to go and it's a, it is a decent projection of where the award season might shift to but two is also i mean if you are the gambling type if you do have an itch and you want to lay money down I, I think the odds are as good as you're going to get for House of Gucci right. and Don't Look Up right now. Because I do think those two are films that seemed like they could be at least nominated and are likely to make the field. And if that's the case, it feels like those they're just placeholders right now. These odds of House of Gucci, 8 to 1, 16 to 1, Don't Look Up, 10 to 1, 20 to 1, like you said, they may be as good as odds you're going to get for these two before anyone sees them. Because right. there's just so much anticipation and hype behind them that they'd have to kind of be pretty miserable to flop and fail and fall out of Oscars conversations altogether. So if you are looking to like get a little bang for your buck, this may be the time for you to strike with either of those two picks. Yeah, it's boom or bust, but it's sure. potentially boom with really good odds. I don't know if if one of them was a Medi-Ian level stinker, <laughs> we would have fun with that, number one. But it's unlikely. And it would be House of Gucci. <laughs> It could be. Well, the, the fact that they haven't played the festivals should be somewhat of a red flag. It, mm-hmm. it usually is, or it can be. Which, I'm not going to say it usually is. It can be. Yeah, it can but, be, for sure. All right. Speaking of festival darlings, though, and number one right now on the Feinberg forecast is all the way out at number 12 on Odds Checker in terms of their best picture power rankings. King Richard, as of October 27th, not necessarily thought of as a best picture winner. 12 to 1 odds are as short as they come, 22 to 1 as far out as they go. King Richard just won the Chicago Film Festival. It's coming to HBO Max in the middle of November there, the 19th. Uh, some some juicy odds that maybe you can't resist there for King Richard. Yeah, in terms of what movies I, and I'm basing this on absolutely nothing but feel and just conjecture but king richard and Macbeth, i think are the two that i would be least surprised to see get serious momentum behind them and climb up the ladder and become serious threats uh to what belfast has seems to have a hold on right now yeah, and it would not it's just the eye all. test for me Macbeth should not should not be a best picture contender i you would, don't think so i would no i would i would think uh it should fall off more than it should really interesting okay on. i feel the opposite I, I mean i'm just worried about the black and white cannibalization but i figure if if you know the cohen brothers are academy catnip this seems to be something that's yeah, a you slam could dunk be right just nomination the, the movie itself is is just so boring shakespeare in the middle of it I mean, again yeah. i you know i might have been fat and just ornery <laughs> Because I ate too much and drank too no, much. No, you would know. You saw it though. You were in there, so you just yeah. you, you don't think it's best picture worthy at all, huh? No, I don't think so. I, I mean, I like I like it fine. I just don't see it. I don't see it catching on. It's like homework in the middle. I mean, the beginning mm. and end is good. Act one and act three, I, I'm in. But the middle of that movie, <sighs> <laughs> interesting. No, all thank right, you. and I like Shakespeare. Don't get me wrong. All right, West Side Story, twenty five to one. Spencer, come on, come on. 33 to 1. 
Some Spencer could shots. be fun. Yeah, come on, come on, could be fun. I, I highly doubt either one ends up winning Best Picture, but, I mean, you could have a fun ride, especially with Spencer. West Side Story, well, I mean, I guess it could happen, but I'd feel gross betting on it, so I'd just say save your money. <laughs> uh, Flea at 40-1, to 1, being the Ricardos, 66-1, to 1, and then at... 100 to 1, Michael. We have some interesting options. Cyrano, Mass, Parallel Mothers. They are in a lot of punditry top tens out there. A hero from Scott Feinberg. It's fourth on his list right now for best picture. Hmm. Never mind first on his list for best international feature. What if they hit, Mike? What if it hits? What if it hits? Uh, Yeah, I would dive like Scrooge McDuck into any odds above 30 to 1 for being the Ricardos right now if I could. Because... There's a lot of hype behind it. I keep saying that with all these movies. There's hype behind all these movies. But a lot of talent and Academy-friendly talent attached to it. Aaron Sorkin was just nominated a bunch last year. Uh, He was just pretty much embarrassed for at least as much as a multi-time Oscar nominee can be embarrassed by not winning anyway. Nicole Kidman, Javier Bardem, both Academy winners. It's a biopic. We know the Academy likes themselves some biopics. It has a studio behind it that has deep pockets for marketing. You could do a lot worse for a super long shot than being the Ricardos right now, especially with the mystery behind how will Nicole Kidman actually do coming off as Lucille Ball? Will she be able to pull it off? Will she be believable? Blah, blah, blah. So you are zagging right now. You think that the internet is just primed for a a rave. Like once the expectations flip on being the Ricardos, oh, Nicole Kidman is pulling. When's the last time people? Yeah. When's the last time people had a problem with something Nicole Kidman did? Yeah. Well, I, I mean, she's in a hot streak right now. Is it's, She is what in a I'm hot saying. streak. We, we went over this, though, in like preview season where we were like, okay, from 2014 to 2017, not a good run for Nicole Kidman. Like she's doing random movies with Nick Cage, but she had she had some lulls. Sure, but saying, it's but 2021. It's 2021. She, <laughs> like you're she, right. She's, she's on had a, a good street. last couple of years. And everybody realizes they love I Love Lucy again, because we all did, <laughs> and we all do, and everybody always has. You never know. All right, so that's Best Picture, Mike. Let's uh, move down to Director. I do think there is a clear front runner and a clear favorite right now. Jane Campion of Power of the Dog. Odds checker lines uh, are as short as 5-4 to four and as far out as 2-1. to one. I think the Vegas favorite is Jane Campion. She was the best director winner in Vegas. She's got the Gotham tribute. 13 of 21 experts on Gold Derby currently have Campion at number one, including Ann Thompson and Sasha Stone. But there is, there, and there, there are several major contenders, I'd say. So director is interesting because there seems to be a lot less options that are out there, but the odds are so much shorter for the favorite right now, which is kind of interesting to me. I mean, Belfast is, is what did we say? Like plus four fifty or something, nine to two. Right. And there's, I don't know, a list of 20 movies at least right now that we can talk about with best picture. When it comes to director Jane Campion, I think there's a list of like eight or nine directors and Jane Campion's odds are like, two to one plus 200 which are much shorter and, and about less than half of the odds of, of belfast so that kind of gives you an indication of how entrenched i think that this the category seems to be however why don't books offer kenneth Branagh betting odds right now because scott feinberg clayton davis jazz tanke eric anderson matt neglia a lot of people we follow have Kenneth Branagh of Belfast as their best director right now in in the pole position. Yeah. But there are no betting lines, at least on odds checker. I don't have subscriptions to all these books to where I can actually get in there and, and double check. 
but he's no, not it's there. No, it's a fair criticism. I haven't found him. I haven't seen them either. And you're right. There is a lot of people that do this uh, that we follow and trust that have him uh, up there just as well. I, I would be very wary about betting on any favorite right now in November. Yeah. Is where yeah. I would land on that. Especially for director. Because Licorice yeah. Pizza could be, and then mm-hmm. PTA. The, the, we know the Academy wants to award PTA. They love his stuff mm-hmm. just by the cast that he gets. But let Licorice Pizza, 11-2, to 7-1 right now in director. Guillermo del Toro, we know the success he and his compadres have had in this branch uh, for for a run there, just like one at one year after after the next, but he's six to one to nine to one. Uh, Perry Nemiroff, Collider, he's not going to get it again. You don't think? I mean, I think it's way too. It would be very very surprising to see him win them back to back with man beast movies. Not back to back, but Inner like you know, one back to back, right? Yeah, I know. I was I was thinking about that as I was saying it, but it's still, I mean, it's just it'd be so. Does not feel like something that should win Best Director uh, <laughs> within just a couple years of each other. If those are very similar period piece, man, beast, universal monster movies <laughs> takes. It's they're not just. It's more of a con man movie, Mike. I don't want you to get like he's uh, having sex with no, the man. It's beast. a con. It's a carny con man movie. Is the con that he thinks he's having sex with a man and it turns out to be a beast? <laughs> I won't spoil that much for you. I'll let you have this for now, but uh, maybe I'll give you that. All right, Denis Villeneuve is the perhaps most intriguing name of these betting odds: eight to one to nine to one. Three pundits on Gold Derby have him at number one. Do people look at that accomplishment and award him earlier, sooner than later? Do they not wait, or do they wait like a Peter Jackson scenario? Has that been earned in this situation? Do How much do people respect Dune is going to be a question I ask throughout the rest of the season. So, because it's been so praised and applauded and wowed and accepted well, is why I, like I kind of alluded to already, I'm shocked to see Villeneuve behind Guillermo del Toro in terms of odds, or at least, I mean, at least this close. I would think he'd be solidly in front of in this early stage of November right now, at least because del Toro just won. Yeah. Uh, well, just a couple you know, four years ago, but he has that with the win to his name. Nobody's seen nightmare alley yet. Everybody's seen Dune and is fawning over the visuals and the camera work and just how great De- Denis Villeneuve was in putting this together and how it came off on the big screen. Again, if you're somebody that's like holding the candle for Dune's Oscar hopes, the fact that, Villeneuve especially is this low. I know he's fourth or fifth, but again, these betting lines overreact whenever a film debuts and whenever it has momentum. This should be as hot as Dune is right now until the kind of the whole field is seen and it readjusts and then we get into Oscar season. The fact that Dune doesn't have like far and away sweeping momentum, Mm -hmm. I don't know that it should be leading these categories, but I would think Villeneuve would be better than fourth or fifth and certainly would be above Del Toro at this point. The narratives behind Denis Villeneuve are interesting because he's had a great career. I think he's been knocking on the door for a while, but he hasn't broken through, correct? So he is essentially someone who the Academy could procrastinate on, and we know how the Academy loves to procrastinate, at least in their old, older, whiter form. Now, does this newer, younger Academy just say, no, we love Dune, forget everything else, we don't need to procrastinate and we can give it to them now. Or do they wait for the second movie and say, hey, wow me again, now you'll get it. 
and, and now you'll break the through. Lord of the Rings type thing. Lord of the Rings type thing. Yeah. I mean, it's but that's I, I do think that works in in terms of a franchise in that case, but it also works in terms of a of a, somebody knocking on the door, and it takes their third or fourth effort for them to uh, you know get nominated and then break through, pay their dues, sort of thing. We've seen this a million times. I, I I'm wondering what Vegas knows and why Dune is being treated the way it is in these books. It's 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 fascinating right now. Joe Cohen of the Tragedy of Macbeth, Steven Spielberg of West Side Story. They're kind of next up, twelve to one, fourteen to one. Michael, to Robert Wise and Jerome Robbins, one best director for the original West Side Story sixty years ago, was the first time multiple directors won the best director category, and also the only time in Oscars history a director won the Oscar for best director for his only directorial effort which is what Robbins did here. And Spielberg now obviously can make his own type of Oscars history if he would happen to win for West Side Story, winning Best Director for the remake of a movie, which originals won Best Director. It looks purdy. It sure Don't bet purdy. on Spielberg. Don't bet on Spielberg. <laughs> I, I, I feel like he's directing the hell out of it, and he's really Agree. into it, and it's something new for Spielberg, the Agree. big musical, right? I I would be surprised if it's if it's not well composed. I really would. Uh, yeah, sure, same. I don't same. think he's going to Eastwood his Spielberg musical. <laughs> is what I'm getting at. I, I think at this stage, the problem with that musical is it's got P- Persona non grata starring yep. in it, and ultimately. it's going to be an interesting case study to see how that is handled by right. the Academy, by and large. Not only by the Academy, but, I mean, Christ, by by critics and pundits everywhere, too. And just yeah. the, the movie-going audience. I agree. I agree. Well, we got some wild cards here, and I would say they're wild cards. Ridley Scott, House of Gucci, he's 6-1 to one to 16-1. to one. He's also got The Last Duel out there. I, I guess if you bet on his name, you can get in for either, but The Last Duel is not making it there. Uh, Ronaldo Marcus Green of King Richard, 10-1 to 22-1. to one. Yeah. Paolo Sorrentino of Hand of God, sixteen to one to twenty to one. Some polarizing reception for Hand of God from the film festivals, even though I think it's getting more positive of late. Adam McKay of Don't Look Up, twenty two to one, as short as he is. And then you got some long shots that probably are going to stay long. In one case, with Chloe Zhao, unfortunately, mm-hmm. I, I, I had hoped she would be back in this mix. Yeah. Mike Mills from Come On, Come On. Don't underestimate Mike Mills from Come On, Come On. That is a crowd-pleasing movie. Mike Mills is beloved by the white people of this academy. We know this much. <laughs> is he beloved by the new academy? We'll see. Pedro Almodovar, Julia Ducournau, Maggie Gyllenhaal, Sean Heater. Those are the names that I'm unhappy with Oddsmaker about, Michael. And maybe mm. Oddsmaker just do- Oddschecker doesn't know how to you know, handicap them right now in terms of the odds, but... The punditry has those four names, Amodavar, Ducournau, Gyllenhaal, and Heater, in their fives. They have them yeah. all over their fives, but you can't bet on them. I don't it's understand it. Still early. Still very early, too, in the year. I mean, again, the lines love to react once they actually get their hands on a film and the public sees it and they can gauge the public's reaction to it. So uh, I, I imagine once those films get wider acceptance, we'll see some line movement and some proper odds being uh, put on them. All I'll do is remind everyone here at this point that Best Director hasn't been won by a director whose movie wasn't also nominated for Best Picture since Frank Lloyd did it for The Divine Lady, which wasn't Best Picture nominated all the way back in 1928. So if you're putting money on something at this point, 
I would say lean towards the projects that you are pretty sure will be seen in the best picture category. That's probably going to be your best bet. You at least won't cut yourself off uh, from a chance to win, you know, in the winter before the Oscar noms are even announced. That's very wise. I agree with that. Uh, Kristen Stewart is clearly the front runner in lead actress, Michael. She is the Venice winner. She has a Gotham tribute scheduled. She has the shortest odds of maybe anybody we're talking about today. Two to seven, or uh, as long as four to seven. I think I got that right. She is number one, Kristen Stewart, on the Feinberg Forecast Awards circuit, IndieWire, Next Best Picture, Awards Watch, and overall, 12 out of 21 experts at Gold Derby. That's wild that she's such that heavy of a favor. I mean, like, again, I know the lines do overreact and people are getting Spencer and Spencer's being received well. But if you're at a point in early November, the first days of November, where you need to pay $3.50 to make a dollar profit off her winning before any award show, major award shows are announced, I mean, there's just no value. You're honestly better off, if you wanted to bet Kristen Stewart, you're better off waiting until Oscar Sunday, even if she was like a minus 10,000 favor, where you have to pay $10,000 to win 100 of profit, because at least at that point, it'll be a slam dunk. Right now, I mean, if you're, if you're spending that kind of money... At you know spending seven hundred to win two hundred dollars of profit, or spending three fifty to win a hundred dollars of profit, either her odds are going to get longer, and you're going to miss the value that there is in her, or mm-hmm. or they're going to be again shorter, and you're at least going to know you're going to win if they get much shorter and much tighter, and you know the minus one thousand whatever territories. I there's just no value in betting Kristen Stewart right now, regardless of how much you like her. I think. So you think it's gonna the, the odds aren't going to get even shorter. I mean, if she gets shorter, you at least know you're going to make money is my kind of my point right now. It's, it's a crapshoot. You don't, you're betting. Why would you bet someone who's that heavy of a favorite when a lot of the competition hasn't even been seen yet? Lady Gaga hasn't been seen yet. You know what I mean? Right. Right. That's, that makes sense to me. Well, that's interesting because I'm a little surprised at your reception of the eyes of Tammy Faye, for instance, and Jessica Chastain, 11 to two, nine to one. You're actually lower on her, even though. You know, three experts, I think they're from further back on the calendar on Gold Derby, have her at at their number one. But uh, in terms of the next tier of contenders and best actress, we don't necessarily have anybody else mounting that clear and obvious campaign for the win, I would say. I think we got some names here, but for the win, we don't have the next best contender yet. Yeah, I think we need to see what Lady Gaga does. I think we need to see what Nicole Kidman does in being the Ricardo. Uh, those wouldn't surprise me to see them come up. Jennifer Hudson, we've seen that already. I, I would be surprised if the, she might make the feel, but I'd be surprised if she kind of takes the category by storm. Jodie Comer, I, I guess I kind of feel the same. There's other names out there like Olivia Coleman, But look, I think the Jessica Chastain thing is just a lack of better options, right? I, I mean, I could be totally wrong, and maybe Jessica Chastain wins, and people are wowed by that. But if if she wins for that performance of Tammy Faye, then we got to retroactively go back and give Bradley Cooper Rami Malek's Oscar for what Bradley Cooper <laughs> did in, in the, A Star Is Born for basically doing the same performance but better. <laughs> All right, so that's that's an interesting take on that. I'm looking forward to that uh, playing out. Penelope Cruz of Parallel Mothers, 10 to 1. Two Gold Derby experts have her uh, atop their list. Lady Gaga of House of Gucci, short is 9 to 1. And then it's the field. It's Jodie Comer of The Last Duel, 14 to 1. Jennifer Hudson, she's got the widest uh, 
swath there in the middle. That's why they kind of take the average at odds checker. But she's next, nine to one, all the way out to eighteen to one. Frances McDormand of the Tragedy of Macbeth. She's got some really good scenes in the beginning. She's got some rough scenes towards the middle of that movie, ten to one to twenty to one from uh, or for the for last year's winner. Nicole Kidman, twelve to one to twenty-two to one. Michael, there's your wild card. There's maybe your value in this category if you are going to bet something. Rachel Zegler, West Side Story, twelve to one, twenty-five to one. Otherwise, we got some enticing mid-range options. Kate Blanchett of Nightmare Alley. If that showdown with he with she and Bradley Cooper is kind of set up properly. 25 to 1 might be interesting there or supporting actress. I don't know if she's going to supporting. I don't know how mm. much time she's got. Olivia Coleman is a no-brainer nominee from my first viewing of The Lost Daughter, which makes her odds at 33 to 1 very intriguing, I would say, uh, and lead actress right now. Otherwise, Tessa Thompson of Passing, Amelia Jones of Coda, two personal favorites of mine thus far, 40 to 1. Those are interesting to me if they have some, you know, momentum coming off the Gotham's. Perhaps yeah. you never know. And I like that Olivia Coleman uh, pick too. I like those odds, oh, thirty-three to one. Why not? If you're Can't especially that resist those odds. <laughs> I do wonder how much of like people were negative on being the Ricardos that teaser. So I wonder how much that plays into why the being the Ricardos, if at all, if that plays in at all to the being the Ricardos having such the huge odds that it does, or does, you know, does somebody in Vegas know somebody who worked on being the Ricardos and they're being told, Hey, this movie isn't going to be the awards pun awards magnet that everyone thinks it is. Blah, blah, blah. I, I would, I would love to know what's uh, responsible for this, but uh, yeah, I'm, I'm intrigued by Nicole Kidman. I'm intrigued by Olivia Coleman. If you're talking about long shots here, I I'm even I, I, Rachel Ziegler, I could be talked into spending a few bucks on. I think Sorkin's wheelhouse is being political, being serious, being focused on the story, and then being funny on the outside or being funny, you know, within the script. So I, I think I was worried about being the Ricardos if it's going for comedy, but that trailer actually reassured me if it's going for the behind the curtain yeah. and the sad clown, that is in his wheelhouse, mm-hmm. I would say. Agree. Agree with everything you just said. So that I mean, you're you're talking about the the film Twitter being primed, and I can't believe you're predicting film Twitter now, but it, you're scaring me. But yeah, I, I hope you're right, and I hope it's good. I I would love to get back on the Sorkin train this year. I, I agree with you, and I would love for him to, <laughs> you know, fix some ales that we saw him put forward in the uh, trial of Chicago. Seven. I hope so too. All right, let's move on to best actor, Will Smith. I do think he is clearly the front runner as mm-hmm. of now. Uh, odds checker has his sh- betting odds at the shortest, four to seven, out to eleven to ten. He won the Pioneering Spirit Award, or I think King Richard won it anyway at the Heartland Film Festival. Michael, so yeah, Will Smith, front runner for the moment. We'll we'll see mid month. Is this like an expected coronation type thing? Are we just all waiting for this category to to finish up so we can give Will Smith his Oscar? If it is, then I dunked on the season because I've been saying it for two years now. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) I've been saying it for two years. I think we've been waiting to give Will Smith his Oscar. I would agree with that. At least I have. Uh, I have too, didn't I? Did, Did I not pick him for both years? I don't remember. I I think I did. Where you predict and where I predict, it melds together and we're one mic. <laughs> Good. Never mind Mike one and Mike two. We're one anyway. Benedict Cumberboo of the Power of the Dew, five to one to ten to one. Denzel Washington of the Tragedy of Macbeth, as odds as short as five to one. Peter Dinklage. I, I really 
I was upset that I couldn't make the extra road trip to see Cyrano at the festivals, but 15 to two, kind of seven and a half to one there. Leonardo DiCaprio in the in in the on the outside looking in, but there I would say at 14 to one. Bradley Cooper at 10 to one, odds as short as 10 to one from Nightmare Alley. Adam Driver, House of Gucci, Annette, Last Duel. Does he get a composite award at all? And Joaquin mm. Phoenix, I've seen it for myself. Come on, come on. The performance is there. It's not necessarily a tra- Oscar grabby performance, but I do think it can be respected. 14 to 1 out to 20 to 1 for Come On, Come On. Who do you think finishes with more Oscar noms after their careers are over between Meryl Streep and Leo? Is Leo really going to keep acting all the way to the end? <laughs> Because, I mean, like, is he going to Jack Nicholson it at some point and just, like, get to 65? And he's like, no, nah, I'm done. I'm, not, I'm on the yacht for the rest of the time. I don't well, know. I, I, I do ask, like, partly in jest because Meryl has, like, 21, I think. And Leo's only actually got, like, only quotes. Only has, like, seven. But I, it really feels like we're in Leo's, all right, he's doing a movie, so he's going to be nominated. Like, it seems like we're in that type of... Even though the the numbers are actually kind of surprised me, he's only been nominated three times in the last fifteen years. Where actually Merrill's been nominated seven times in that same stretch. But it, it, I just feel like every year we're talking about Leo. Well, every year lately, yeah, yeah. That's For what sure. I. That's I feel like we're in that kind of. Uh, I don't know what that highlight of his career. I guess it would be prime it's of his career. It's the prime. It's the yeah. acting prime. Yeah. The 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 forties, late forties. Anyway, he should have won for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Yeah, you've said this. You've said this (laughs) once once or twice. Uh, Some long shots, longer shots in Best Actor. Ben Affleck of The Tender Bar. We'll talk about the trailer. 25 to 1. Javier Bardem, another Amazon property there, being the Ricardos, 40 to 1. I know that's some in-session buddies of ours. Nicolas Cage, 66 to 1 off of Pig. They like those odds. That would be so cool if Nick Cage won for Pig, Best Actor. After Willy's Wonderland, Prisoners of the Ghost Land. That'd be so cool. Crazy shit, bumblefuck Magoo, whatever he's They don't even open the envelope. Nick Cage, you crazy son of a bitch, get up here. Rip up up the envelope. I say it's Nick Cage. It's Nick Cage. He wasn't even nominated. (laughs) Cooper Hoffman of Licorice Pizza. Wouldn't that be a crazy-ass great narrative? 66 to 1. That would be fun. And and look, a long shot I'm intrigued with, Jonathan Majors of the harder they fall that is being well received by oscar pundits uh nbp just released an episode on the harder they fall i have to listen to that i didn't ch- uh, check that out quite yet but jonathan majors has the goods in that performance you never know would love it would love any not i don't i'm more offended by lead actress right now and the, the respect and love jessica chastain's <laughs> getting than i am uh with anything i see here as far as lead actor possibilities all right, well, let's kind of do kind of a rapid fire. Just let the people know where mm-hmm. the odds are going and where the pundits are going right now with many of the other categories. I'll start with supporting actress and doubt of mass, Katrina Balfe of Belfast. They both have sing- six pundits apiece on Gold Derby uh, with Feinberg, NBP, Awards Watch, all going towards the Belfast actress from Outlander there, Katrina Balfe. So supporting actress, Two early front runners, I'd say. I have to get to see Mass. I still have not seen it. I can't wait to get my hands on it. Um, as far as supporting actor goes, we have Jamie Dornan of Belfast. He sits atop Feinberg's list. Uh, Gold Derby is completely split with number ones for Ben Affleck, Bradley Cooper, Cody Smith McPhee, Sh- Sharon, <laughs> Sierra. Yes. <laughs> 
Sierra and Hines. Karn. Karn Hines. I should have practiced that. Uh, Look yeah. that up before I hit He's record. the man. He's a great actor. That's all right. Please uh, yeah, let us know. That poor guy's pronunciation. I apologize for that. I'll be on top of that before next one. Somebody can email me and yell at me in my pronunciation again. They should. They fine. should. They, need they to. really we need, should. We that need was you. Bad. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> Richard Jenkins, Leslie Odom Jr., Jason Isaacs, Jesse Plemons, Willem Dafoe, and Cody Hawkins all get love all over Gold Derby. So, As number I mean, ones, not just yeah. noms. As number my ones. My Lord, how wide open could this category be? Right, so that's that's seriously wide open and supporting actor. Uh, documentary, David Long sent us some odds. David, you're the man, and you're, <laughs> I'm afraid for you. But yes, uh, Flea is the early front runner in terms of uh, his British bookie there. 8 to 11 odds. Uh, the, the Rescue, 15 to 8 in that second spot. Summer of Soul, which actually is the punditry favorite right now from both Scott Feinberg and Ann Thompson. 6 to 1 odds. Ascension. My nemesis, 12 to 1. Attica, 12 to 1. The first wave is my intriguing long shot. Maybe worth a sprinkle coming from Neon there at 40 to 1. Otherwise, animated feature, Mike, Luca is the Gold Derby favorite right now. 13 of 19 experts on Gold Derby are smoking crack. And Luca is the animated favorite. I will say next best picture. I thank them for having Flea as their number one. Yeah, I don't. I mean, I, who knows? Maybe Luca will win it, but that would be a shame. What, um, are, they, dude, what are they talking about? Canto is going to win it. I right? would think. Or, I or would Flea. very it's much not, think. Even Ron's gone wrong has been, you know, that's been perceived. Well, I don't know. Clayton had the Mitchells versus the Machines, which I was happy to see as well, but Jesus. International feature, uh, both Next Best Picture and Feinberg both have a hero uh, for adapted screenplay. It looks like Jane Campion and Power of the Dog is the early frontrunner. 17 out of 21 experts on Gold Derby, as well as Feinberg, as well as Next Best Picture, have that atop their list. Original screenplay. uh, Also, Kenneth Branagh for Belfast, 11 of 20 experts on Gold Derby, Feinberg as well. Cinematography right now looks like a runaway for dune at this early stage of the award season 18 out of 20 experts on gold derby have it uh production design sound and vfx are all mostly going towards dune as well if you look at the pundits uh score clayton davis for variety has spencer while next best picture has dune score and costumes seems to be a four-way cluster between cruella dune house of gucci and spencer I want like multiple podcasts with Jazz talking about costumes with that cluster. <laughs> that sounds awesome. Makeup and hair. NBP has House of Gucci. Clayton has Dune. Seen some variations in makeup and hair. Editing. We're seeing a lot of Dune or Belfast. Original song. We're seeing some No Time to Die. That's Feinberg. NBP has the Beyonce song from King Richard, Be Alive. Clayton has Guns Go Bang from James Samuel, Jay-Z from The Harder They Fall there, Michael. And if the Academy is smart, they'll lock those three at least in as nominees tomorrow and work mm. on getting those performers to hit the stage. Because... Before the Academy inevitably chooses Van Morrison, I would agree. Right, of course. <laughs> Somebody off. Ah, yeah, no. <laughs> but, da, da, but... da. If you're That's worried about ratings sings, and you're worried about getting people to watch the show, my God, Billie Eilish, Beyonce, and Jay-Z all performing in, on the same show is kind of a, a good way to get eyes on your product, isn't it? Yes, yes, for the next generation <laughs> as I, you know, just like a drowning rat. <laughs> no, it was good. my Van Morrison. We should, uh, we should have that as our new intro song. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right, is Box that Van Morrison, update. or is that the Smashing Pumpkins guy, Billy Corgan? <laughs> 
Uh, yeah, it's uh, I grew up on Brilly Corgan, so it might be him. But all right, so we actually Oscar race checkpointed on Oscar race checkpoint. Good on us. Let's do a quick box office update, Michael, and let's catch some people up on some news for the rest of this episode. We do have two weeks of Dune box office. Dune made fifteen point four million in its uh, second domestic weekend, forty one point one in its first. That's a sixty two point one percent drop from its first weekend. The totals, though, are strong, especially for a day and date player. Two ninety three point six after two weeks, sixty nine domestically nice, two twenty four nice. internationally. Very nice. Uh, but this is where we're at with American theaters, right? The, the international box office seems to be doing okay, and I don't know how much more you and I can yell into these microphones about it, but the biggest blockbusters are doing somewhere between 30 and 60 or 70% of what they'd normally do for their debut weekends, which means theaters are missing out on probably 40 to 70% of the money they used to be able to count on from the biggest studios fare. And then immediately, weekend to weekend, those films are losing anywhere around three-fifths to two-thirds of that audience and yet still there's people out there trying to push that theaters are back narrative. And I get why. And, Mike, you're going to talk about right. the domestic box office Overall, and what the right. month of October looked like. And I, I, I understand why that idea is out there. But when you take into account what these movies could and arguably should be doing following the historical trends, it's just a rough outlook. They're not making the money they should be making right now. I will say that October, in terms of overall product, the market was flooded with some good stuff. Mm-hmm. Or at least some stuff that people wanted to see in theaters or wanted right. to see on streaming. So there was enough product out there. Yeah, it was like Kills. two years worth of stuff, too. Yeah, people it was loaded. That, it, was, you know? it was backloaded. So Halloween Kills is a really good box office property. Sometimes you can let that play for three weeks. But no, it's sandwiched on all these things. Obviously, the day and date plays into all that. But yeah, Halloween Kills in its third weekend, 8.7, 41% drop from its second weekend. Look, here's the totals for Halloween Kills right now, 116 is the overall 2018's Halloween made 126 just domestically. Mm-hmm. Uh, never mind overall. Right now, the d- domestic cube for Halloween kills is 85 million. Again, that's much less than its 126 after two weeks. Mm-hmm. You know, so that's Halloween kills. Otherwise, we have no time to die. Finally opens in China. China has issues with COVID, so many theaters are closed there. No Time to Die is climbing, though. 606.7 million is the overall take, which does compare to some, at least the first two James Bond movies of the Daniel Craig era. Casino Royale did 616 total. Quantum of Solace did 589. No, No Time to Die is not coming close to Skyfall's 1.118 or 1.18 billion uh, or Spectre's 880 right now, but it may climb up. Is that a win for James for the final Daniel Craig movie that that's doing two thousand six numbers, two thousand seven numbers? I don't know that that's necessarily a win. I don't theaters. know either. What, what did it have to make? But it got backed by Amazon Prime. Oh, never mind that. that. Company. Yeah, yeah, right. Never. Yeah, so, how many times what did it have to make? That's the question. And yeah. and are they at least breaking even, or did they salvage it? And the fact that it got into theaters and made that money for theaters, half of it going to movie theaters or whatever the cut was. I don't know. It's a good sign. Like we said, October was loaded. My Hero Academia, World Heroes Mission came in fourth last weekend. A surprising fourth, the anime film in that series, 6.4 million. Venom, Let There Be Carnage was another holdover, 5.7 million. Venom, Let There Be Carnage is doing okay overall compared to its predecessor, 395.8 overall. It's not close to its predecessor, which did 856, but again, 
Are they okay with 50 to 60% wherever it winds up being? Overall, though, October was a revenue boost, Mike. Uh, it was the best month since the pandemic started. Six thirty-seven million overall domestically. That's more than July's five eighty-three, which is mm-hmm. the second best month. Uh, it's much more than last year's October, which was only fifty-five million, by the way. <laughs> so good on them. Yeah. Uh, it's not as much as twenty nineteen or twenty eighteen. October six thirty-seven this year is not as much as seven eighty-nine in nineteen or eight thirty-two in eighteen, which was a record. Otherwise, it is comparable, though, to 2017 and 2016. 637 defeats 2017's 579, and 637 defeats 2016's 621. So I'm sorry for saying so much in numerical form, but the (laughs) box office overall is getting healthier. We're going to talk about some disappointments outside of the top 10 this week, but because of some of those big-name holdovers, we have some big-money box office. Is that going to continue? It could. Even if it's disappointing from the Eternals, Mike, I know I'm ranting here, but we've seen projections up towards $100 million from Screen Rant and Gold Derby a while back. Yeah. Now we're seeing those projections plummet a bit. I would say plummet. Comic book news, etc., saying it could be as low as 67. We don't know if they're going to do Shang-Chi numbers. Shang-Chi did 75 in its opening weekend, 96 with the four-day, 75 with the three-day. I don't know. I don't know how we market uh, or how we uh, put the markers down overall on the health of the box office. I do know this, though. Antlers last night in Soho, not great. Four million each, essentially. Major disappointments. However, the big story from deadline today was that Focus Features was kind of, you know, Monday morning quarterbacking this. They're saying they don't usually take any of their properties, unless it's Downton Abbey, and release it wide like this. They like the platform. 3,000 screens, though, for Last Night in Soho. They, they placated Edgar Wright, which I'm sure was happy about that. Here's the thing about Last Night in Soho. It did really well at the specialty theaters. It did really well at the uh, Alamo Draft Houses and some some right. 35-millimeter print theaters, etc. The fans came out in those markets. Overall, though... I mean, I saw it. I'll review it in a minute. Not so much. And, and there's a quote here from Lisa Brunel saying, I, I am just really happy we got this movie out at the theaters. Uh, we achieved what we wanted to for Edgar. Good. I'm glad Edgar Wright's happy. I'm glad Focus was able to do that for him and able to do that for themselves. I, I, I'm i just, I'm very worried. I'm very worried for theaters in general, domestically, especially. And we're I know worried the for the are, lower budget, the art yeah. houses. We're worried for those. And I mean, there's, they're just, I know there's a couple around me that have closed and have no signs of reopening anytime soon. It's just. If you give the art house product to the Cineplexes, what is the exclusivity for the art houses at all? And who's going to go to the, you know, like, I mean, the art houses thrive on having niche offerings like that. Right. If you spread that audience around, it's not like the audience is everywhere i wonder if they're doing more harm than good like trying to get the general public interested in it i don't know and especially with how last night in soho has been received which is uh polarizing i would say and you're gonna talk about it and making the case you saw last night in soho and you're one of those who was along for the ride until you weren't right yes and no i think i was not along for the ride from the beginning that's why i'm a little confused by the uh by the reviews for this movie because everybody's like the first half is really good and then the second half sucks well the first half you could see the problems there's clear as day like he is not a good horror film director when he can't 
you know, write 10 jokes. Mm. I mean, the I love his trilogy with Simon Pegg and Nick, right. Nick Frost. I love that. I love the Cornetto trilogy. But he it's great because it's funny. It's not great because it's scary. He'll mix in a few scares. But Last Night in Soho is purely a, for, a horror movie. It's a psychological thriller horror movie. And he, it's not in his wheelhouse, unfortunately. Thomas and McKenzie, Anya Taylor-Joy, love their performances. They're the next wave of great actresses, along with Florence Pugh and Zendaya, etc. They're in that, you know, that next uh, next gen of great actors. But And it's, and it's clear as day. But the, the problem with this movie is, is that you can't, you don't have goods delivered in the horror side of things. And and I, we should know. We just watched all these horror movies. We binged all these great horror movies. Some are good, some are not. So I'm in the horror movie watching mode, and I'm not scared at any of the jump scares. I don't like the horror VFX. Mm. So I'm aggravated with acts one, two, and three, even though I like the nostalgia, I like the music, I like some of the scenes and sequences. They're beautifully shot. And he doesn't make a bad movie, so it's like a CC minus Mm. You know, if I'm if I'm bitter, it's a C minus. But that's, that's got to be. I mean, that's a shame. To, and Edward, Edward, you're right. You've sung his praises forever. You're one of Love his him. biggest fans. Probably one of my favorite filmmakers, if not my favorite filmmaker. So. In a in a kind of belligerent way, I rewatched the Sparks Brothers because I like I love me some Edgar Wright, and I didn't love the Sparks Brothers coming out of Sundance. I rewatched that, and I liked that much more. That just popped up on Netflix, and I clicked on it, and I watched it. So stock up for the Sparks Brothers in terms of my documentary film watching, Michael. I will say stock down real quick on the Velvet Underground off of Apple TV Plus. Mm. I, that was nails on a chalkboard sound effects i mean i don't know what they're thinking but i don't want wine or guitar wine or fuzz to like carry through multiple interviews in the middle of that film <laughs> i mean it's vex it's a vexing watch as it is because this, the band is talking about you know heroin use and all their lyrics and they're talking about some heavy issues and they're at each other's throats it's a vexing watch going in Mm. They're they're combative with everybody. It's just they always were. We knew we loved that about them, the Velvet Underground. But this is not necessarily the musical showcase I wanted to, and you're left aggravated. So I was I was shocked for that to be as art filmy as as it was, and painful and punishing uh, of a watch as it was, the Velvet Underground. So that stock down for me. I'm stock up on two international features. The worst person in the world. I rewatched that. Loved it again, so that's mm-hmm. a great sign for Joaquin Trier, Anders Danielson Lee, Renata Reinsev, that did get pegged as a Best International Film selection, so I'm, I'm psyched. Finally, Lutsu. Michael, this is a movie about a Maltese fisherman starring a Maltese fisherman, <laughs> and he's a non-actor, and he's his name is Jesmark in the movie, and his name is Jesmark in real life, and my God, he can act. I was so impressed with him, and uh, you go back to Sundance, and oh my God, he won performance awards at Sundance. So good on him, good on Lutsu. Malta should get some more eyes on it this year for Best International Feature. It probably won't, but it should, because that is some old-school filmmaking. Again, very confrontational filmmaking. Every scene, uh, a ton of conflict in it, but that movie unravels in a really, really smart, well-composed way, well-directed film, Lutsu. Come for the review of Last Night in Soho. <laughs> Stay for the review of Lutsu and the Maltese Fisherman. <laughs> That's right. All right. Four quick hey, was trailers. This, wait, was the soundtrack yeah. in Last yeah. Night in Soho good at least? Yes, it was. And I've been listening to it on Spotify. So, right. yes. Yes, That's it was. Good. Of course right. it was. So, yeah. if you're in for just musical goods, yeah, it's there. Good. Okay. It's there. Well- 
I, that's, I'm, I'm happy to hear that. I have not, I've not gotten out to see it yet, but you know, it's, you know, I, I'm, I'm bummed too. We both, we love Edgar Wright, and I think the fact that Thomas and Mackenzie nor Anya Taylor Joy is anywhere in either of the actress categories that we talked about at the beginning of the show with uh, reviewing the Oscar or the betting lines here, probably an indication uh, that Vegas as well does not see Last Night in Soho as having many awards legs. Period. No, it's, it's not, unfortunately, but uh, it is what it is. Let's talk about. Another film that I'm a little surprised may not have the awards legs at all is The Unforgivable here, Michael. We got a first trailer from Netflix, and I have been praising Netflix for how they've cut their trailers for a while. This is their worst one in a bit, in a minute, because this is not Mm. a great trailer. I mean, this is just building into it, and then everybody's yelling at everybody. What's going on here? So... I'm so torn on this. I agree with your sentiment there overall, because if anything about this were any less, like if the talent were any less, if we didn't have Oscar winners and Viola Davis and Sandra Bullock, and if we didn't have Vincent D'Onofrio and John Bernthal, who are great character actors, if we didn't have you know these veterans of stage and screen who have turned the art of drama into their lifeblood, then yeah, I would say this borders on like melodramatic at times. right. right. It, it it feels that way in the trailer at least. Yeah. But it also they're pulling from all these different scenes in the trailer in that montage. So maybe Nora Finkscheit, just like she did in System Crash Crasher, she picks her spots. I mean, she is a talent as a director, which is why I was so high high on this, which is why she got the cast she did for mm. this. So I'm hoping that it's just a bad trailer and it's a better movie and that Netflix uh has it you know, has something in store for an Oscars push if if it's worthy. Like Rob Morgan, it be it seems like he's being featured here. Let's see him get thrust into the set supporting actor conversation, yeah. which is wide open. Uh, but th- yeah, this trailer was paint by numbers, and, and it, it's kind of a testament too to be wary if you are going to place money on any Oscars bets yet, because one of these names that aren't even listed could pop out and go, totally. you know, go somewhere. I'm still excited for the Unforgivable as it is, and I'll watch Viola Davis and Sandra Bullock scream at each other all day regardless of context (laughs) which you get in this i do have concerns if this is going to be a screenplay that's going to try to do too much with modern day hot button issues though like i feel like there was four or five easily just in this trailer alone that the film seems Mm -hmm. to allude to taking on within its script and if that's the case sometimes the aspirations for the screenplay kind of outpace the execution of the story we get but again i'm willing to give everyone aligned with this the benefit of the doubt because they're all proven entities so how could i not and i'm hopeful and excited and like you i'd like this to be just a poorly cut trailer valid concerns i would say and let's look at the stars of the film like viola davis sandra bullock they've had some big swings and big misses Mm -hmm. in our opinion Mm -hmm. in recent years i mean our brand is crisis i don't well that's not just our opinion sandra bullock really was ambitious with that project it didn't work out we felt viola davis a few times all right was that movie mothers what was that one widows widows Widows. yeah we were not we were not a fan of widows but it was a big swing. It was an ambitious project. And I respect her for taking that project on. And I love that Steve McQueen took it on. It just yeah. didn't quite work for us because the montage of the movie and the big training regimen was them carrying backpacks for five yards. <laughs> Made no sense. Anyway, <laughs> built up to that. All right. But Cynthia Erivo, we got Cynthia Erivo just breaking out in that movie. So that was still worth it. But all right. 
The Tender Bar might also be a streaming film hitting a formula. Like you said, Viola and Sandra, they can yell at each other. I'll watch that. I'll click on that. Mm. Well, if Christopher Lloyd and Ben Affleck are cracking jokes with shit-eating mm-hmm. grins, Michael, in The Tender Bar on Amazon Prime, directed by George Clooney, I might click on that as well. And is it just me, or does Ben Affleck seem just a little happier? Like he's yeah. got like a new lease on life, perhaps. Like maybe he's back with a familiar... I don't know, accent? That's what it is. He's got an accent. He's back in Massachusetts doing an accent again. It's Good almost Will like he's so too. happy. Yeah, he's like on a yacht somewhere with a beautiful woman. That yeah. level of happiness. Good for right. him. The, the rare level of happiness that we can only hope to achieve someday. I agree. Yeah, he looks... But then again, he's being paid by one of his good friends in George Clooney to play a guy looking happy as well. So that's right. got to help. Now, there's some cheesiness to this trailer. Some. <laughs> Some. Is the bar that's tender the specialty cheese stand at the local grocery? Some? This is all cheese. The deadbeat father is high cheese. It's, it's stinking cheddar cheese. But my hope is that the funny ball busting from Christopher Lloyd, which is funny in the trailer, and the funny ball busting from Uncle Ben, very happy, happy-faced Uncle Ben, could work. So... Like they're the cheesiest moment of the trailer where the kid is screaming in the rain. They they flip that on me with it's a joke and it's a good laugh. Yeah, I agree with that. There's hope. I agree. I'm hoping is all I'm saying. I know people Lloyd's saw been this. Eighty and years it. old for five decades, Mike. That's right. He's been that age since Back to the Future. Look it. By the time you and I get on YouTube, we'll both be that old and we'll stay <laughs> the same age for like thirty years. I do want to. I do want to chastise another part of this trailer though. Okay. Me and Julio down by the schoolyard is a terrible choice for the soundtrack of this trailer. There's a couple terrible choices. Uh, there'll be a Doors song later on. That's a terrible choice as well. I, I, but yes, yeah. I agree. I agree with that. That is what I would like to formally throw my hat into the ring to be the curator for all songs to fit their trailers from this point forward. Because it's the job, and arguably the only job, I was born to do. Because if you wanted Paul Simon, you can't convince me that Mrs. Robinson wouldn't be a better song for this trailer. Or the boxer, or you could stay in the same genre, change the singer, and give me Cats in the Cradle by Harry Chapin. Like, there's a billion different picks that are perfect for this, and the, being Julio Dumb by the School is just nonsensical. And then they try to remix it, and it just sounds awful. Hollywood, call me. Well, there's Mr. Hollywood played by Bill Hader out there somewhere, <laughs> and I don't know what his reaction was to your audition for that job. I, it could have been, you know, I'm in. That's. Get that boy on the phone. I'm going to hire him. Or of course. it's F all the way off. I don't know what he just no, thought. No, no. Well, if it's F all the way off, he's wrong. <laughs> then you're not going to get the job. And you're going to have to keep criticizing from your peak, your perch. Michael, why is there a light year trailer? Why is Pixar hiring Captain America to make the story of Bud Light- Buzz Lightyear and his adventures to infinity and beyond, which is the premise? I mean, sure. But what are we doing? Money. <laughs> right I, I mean i didn't think we needed buzz lightyear's backstory yeah. which is mostly meant for laps and somewhat for nostalgia because people played with toys and now they're taking to a, their kids to a movie about toys coming to life and these are the toys we used to play with kind of thing it worked for four movies we loved it i'm, I'm a little surprised though that they're delving in to the buzzerg mythology like yeah. that needs to be delved into <laughs> i have a theory about this movie and it goes along with you th- saying this is seems like a money grab which i totally agree with but i think along those lines pixar might be realizing that one of their most bankable properties 
is probably soon to be without a bankable market of audience because all of us who grew up with Buzz Lightyear originally are now mired in debt and struggling to own our own homes and probably not too concerned with what Woody and the gang are up to. How did this get so real? (laughs) Well, but but seriously, this feels like a reimagining of Buzz for a new generation of kids to get the new toys and the new look, and then they can just keep churning out toy stories and get a new audience to grow old with. I think that's what the idea is here because I agree this is not my Buzz Lightyear. This seems this came off weird to me. <laughs> Did come off a little weird. Now, it still looks kind of funny. Like he's jumping like Tim Allen's Buzz did at the cat, which is funny. Mm. Like there's a there, I like the stuff I see here. It's like a little first manny, but it's still going to be a little funny. They cut off he's, he's getting pulled by a squid and then he gets his friend and then everybody's wearing the Buzz Lightyear gear, which is awesome. It just—it looks like a guy in a Buzz Lightyear suit. <laughs> it's gonna make three quarters of a billion dollars, though, right? You're absolutely right. That's what you're you said. That's what right. I said. It's yeah. gonna. Speaking Never mind of big the toy money, sales. yeah. Speaking of big money properties and toy sales, Morbius. Yeah. Morbius trailer just released this morning. He really needs the blade serum. Either that, or he's got to start eating some chickens <laughs> like the big guy. I wonder. If we needed to hide monster vamp, super vamp, like couldn't Jared Leto just be Jared Leto and be a vampire? But instead, he turns into this giant CGI, still bearded bat who is a man. Yeah, who uh, Bradley Cooper's going to have sex with, I think. That Bradley Cooper <laughs> might have sex with somewhere in, a in your del Toro brain. movie. Yeah. But, like, at least CGI Venom is huge and fun and iconic and meme worthy. And maybe I'm just not a fan of the comic book. Uh, you know, Sinister Six level Morph- Morbius here, but I just don't know. If, did we need Super Vamp? If they got to pull off the Super Vamp, if they pull it off CGI wise, I'm in for this movie. If it's just lame ass Jared Leto motion capture, I'm worried about it. The VFX do look cool for the most part in this trailer. At least it looks like we're getting a lot of what Fox tried to do with their version of Quicksilver. A lot of I'm like, worried though because every time you get the VFX, it's when it's not Jared Leto in a wide shot mm. where he's still not Jared Leto, right. it's a close-up on giant Jekyll and Hyde vampire man. Yeah. It's a yeah. close-up. So, I mean, they're handling the close-ups well. Are they going to handle it when wide? Or is it just going to look like a caveman battling like a vampire? Like, I don't, I don't know if that's going to work. I want these to all be hits because I want Sony to have, like, their own library of properties that they can I'm play with. And I saw someone on Twitter, I forget who, but suggest that Sony should just build up. They basically said Sony should do what I've been pitching WB should do with the DC properties for years, which is just build up these entities and just have a string of this comic book hero versus this comic book villain movies. Like, I wanted WB forever to just build up to Wonder Woman versus Harley Quinn. And I saw someone say, like, why not make this the Morbius versus Venom path after? And I wonder if Sony knows what their plan is after the big inevitable Sinister Six movie where they fight with Spider-Man. I wouldn't mind that to have these, you know, be all standalone properties that end up having a bunch of crossovers in villain versus villain movie or hero versus villain movies. Isn't that like the whole success of all the comics ever made ever? And obviously the MCU and obviously, yeah. I mean, Well, they uh, usually bring in their own antagonist though and speaking of i have no idea who the antagonist is in this movie oh that's a good point none (laughs) (laughs) it's not him who is it reason for concern i agree (laughs) okay that's interesting well is it michael keaton no sure so we're gonna have a 
a Craven vulture. versus Morbius or Vulture. I get my. Oh no, Craven's uh, in it. You said Craven's in it. No, and I, I, I think Vulture's right. I think you're right. I'm just I was I was off there, but you know. We already seen know Vulture get his ass kicked though, right? Yeah. It's all. It's like it's almost like. You know, I, I'm turning into Al Pacino here. Heavy versus heavy in, 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 at the at the Musso and Franks. We've already seen that already. Ah, uh, that's the best movie to ever be made. <laughs> that was a good movie. All right, a uh, lot of information. We went through it as efficiently and quickly for a change as we possibly could. But as always, dear listener, what matters mo- most to us is your thoughts, not only on these trailers, but on the box office, on the state of theaters, and maybe most important of all, uh, what are your thoughts on the big Vegas betting odds as we kind of lay the groundwork to start this path towards Oscar Sunday officially. Right now, you can leave us all of those, as well as any other thoughts, comments, questions, or concerns you have about anything else we do here in the MMO Empire on our social medias we are at mike mike and oscar on both facebook and instagram at mm and oscar on twitter mike mike and oscar at gmail.com.com and on reddit we're available wherever you hear podcasts if you're listening to us currently on the apple podcast app if you would be so kind as to leave us a five-star review it would take one click of your time and make our entire day thank you to all of you who have done so thus far michael tell the good people what is coming next and let's have some words of wisdom to wrap up on here Spencer, Clifford the Big Red Dog, King Richard, Belfast, House yeah. of Gucci, Licorice Pizza, uh, and Canto, The Power of the Dog. These are all on the schedule. All are going to contend for Best Picture. We are sure of this. Every single one of those names, not a single <laughs> No omission. disappointments. No disappointments. Uh, we're ready. I, I can't wait to cover them all. We got some Oscar race checkpoints because we got some nominations coming up. We got some Gotham's coming up at the end of the month of November. Some actual awards to and award shows to kick off the season. So a ton of stuff coming up. I just think the words of wisdom are, I think we're going to do more Oscar race checkpointing on Oscar race checkpoint. And I really enjoyed kind of getting a, uh, a plug back into the Oscar races here. I think yeah. we, we did a nice job today. That was fun. And that was like a fall Oscars update that we usually do. I'm glad we did it, Mike. And maybe more from Mike, Mike and Oscar coming too, because we might be uh, going, hitting the way back button and giving you more than two episodes a week in the uh, near future. Cause it's just the schedule's going to demand it sometimes. So mm-hmm. I agree. A lot of fun. A lot of, it's nice to be plugged back in. It's uh it's, it, I was going to say it's nice to not be watching 80s horror movies, but I don't believe that, so I can't say no. it. No, <laughs> we had fun. We had fun on our sabbatical there watching a lot of 80s horror movies. We did. Uh, guys, as always, when reality sucks, you can prepare for the Oscar sprint with us. We are Mike, Mike, and Oscar trying to make award season year-round. Without the stuffiness, we will see you all very soon. See ya. See ya.